Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. you're getting getting things done yeah you take incoming fire that's just the nature of it uh, I roll out of bed in the morning I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning and it's constantly attacking and this is just what's happened I don't think any governor got attacked more particularly by corporate media than me over my four-year term and yet I think what you what you learn is all that's just noise and really what matters is, are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. And, and that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. Uh, the fact of the matter is, You know, the fact of the matter is we um, it, it was the the, the greatest uh, Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. And yes, Ron DeSantis can crow about that all he chooses. It's not a deniable thing there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. 833 got Tony 833-468-8669. So much being made, of course, of Trump and that announcement uh, tonight. I'll get into that in a little bit. But there are some stories that have nothing to do with Trump. Nothing having to do with 2024, but have to do with, well, what do you think the job of the reporter is? When we talk about institutions and having faith in institutions, faith in in the setup of the nation. It is very obvious that for the political right and for a massive amount of independence, faith in media has been shot to hell, and it's their fault. It's the fault of the New York Times. It's the fault of CNN and MSNBC. It's the fault of of ABC, NBC, CBS. They did this. They wanted ideology over rationality. They did not want to engage in journalism. We should note that J schools have gone straight to hell. Because journalism is not based on journalism. Journalism is based on having the approved narrative in your soul and then finding more ways to share it. That's the, that's the, the, the story. That is the problem. It has been noted today that over at NBC News, a reporter was suspended. I have his name as Miguel Almaguer, A-L-M-A-G-U-E-R. You don't know Miguel Almaguer. I had never heard of him until I had come across the report he did for the Today Show, where he reported on what happened to Paul Pelosi. Somebody's in the house. Somebody's hitting him in the ha- in the head with a hammer. 
The police come, they arrest the man, he's here illegally uh, via Canada, he's all sorts of weird connected with this nudist and this freak show, and and now there are going to be charges and attempted murder charges. But how was the guy in the house? Turns out Capitol Police weren't watching the video. They have no other security. The glass on the back door that's broken is broken to the outside, as opposed to meaning someone from inside the house did it. The whole thing is weird. And what about the initial reports that Paul Pelosi had said, well, this I know this guy, or called him a friend, and et cetera, and then all that got ret- retracted. You're like, what in the world's happening here? Then there was the reporting from this guy. Where he had the reporting that Paul Pelosi answered the door for police. Did not indicate that he was in distress and then walked back toward the would-be assailant. That the attack with the hammer happened happened after the police were already there. And then, of course, the new reporting is that they were both holding on to the hammer at the time. And police told him to drop the hammer and the, the guy was like, nope. And then hit him, cracked his skull open with the hammer. According to the Washington Post, this guy Almaguer much of his account was inaccurate based on flawed information provided by a source who was unnamed in the report, according to people at the network. Those people said Almaguer was incorrect when he reported that uh, the husband of the speaker, Paul Pelosi, gave no indication that he was in danger when he answered the door. In fact, San Francisco police have said that Pelosi was struggling with the intruder, a guy by the name of, I don't use names here, when uh, they first saw him. So let's now state that this guy had the reporting wrong. You could argue it was early reporting. This is what his source told him. Uh, Other sources have come forward and they have the credibility and they were able to prove themselves. And so this is what actually happened. If you're NBC, why not just make a statement? As Jim Garrity noted over there at National Review, Why is this coming out in the form of leaks from, quote, people at the network? Why why suspend him like this? Why not just say that a mistake was made? Instead, they're going to tell us that... um, the the interview or, or, or the reporting from Miguel Almaguer did not meet NBC News reporting standards? I can appreciate it that if at NBC the truth does not comport with their NBC reporting standards. I could totally get that. You know that expression, the cover-up is worse than the crime? Here you are. Dude, come on. There's no need to suspend this guy. If he got it wrong, he got it wrong. But the way you're doing it, I ain't so sure that he got it wrong. If you want conspiracy theories to continue, you're doing a good job of it. That brings us to the people over at NBC again. It's a twofer for the people at NBC. Oh, proud as a peacock or something like that. NBC News has uh, tips for protecting your kids. Uh, And, of course, this is uh, for the flu season and as well as um, as well as uh, COVID. Right. Uh, Don't forget those those COVID and flu vaccines. 
These are the tips for protecting your kids. Wash your hands. Stay home if you feel unwell, which, uh, of course, we all agree with. And we all agree with washing hands. And some people get the flu shot. Some people get a COVID vaccine. Feel free. Do it. Don't. Whatever. Avoid physical interactions with unvaccinated individuals. Oh my God. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Everybody, What's going on? Holy crap, I am freaking out. Avoid physical interaction with unvaccinated individuals? What misinformation bullcrap is this? If you are vaccinated for COVID, you can still spread COVID. We've known this for almost two years now. The only people who didn't know this were your employer who forced you to get vaccinated or lose your job and the ladies on The View. Only two groups in America that somehow didn't know that if you're vaccinated, uh, you could still transmit COVID to people. People still buying the lie that if you have to be vaccinated, if you're vaccinated, you can't, you you won't transmit COVID, and therefore your mima will live. Um, uh, my my vaccine status means zero to your mima. Just so we're clear, just so we understand each other. What a nutty thing for NBC! Spreading fear, pushing misinformation. These people should be knocked off Twitter for this. I mean, just madness. But this is a great example. They're going to suspend this reporter for misinformation. Yet here they are proudly saying avoid physical interactions with unvaccinated individuals. Why? Why? Now, I'm not an expert on the flu shot, so you tell me. I, I've never I've never gotten a flu shot, by the way. My family does. I don't. If I get the flu shot, can I still transmit the flu to somebody? Because I'm willing to bet that I can. Now, I'm not an expert, as I said, but I'm just willing to bet that I can. It's possible. It's possible. So why is it, certainly with COVID, I know you can. So this guy gets suspended for misinformation. Basically, they ruin his career. But here, they're totally fine with doing this, and no one's going to get suspended. People don't have faith in the institutions, and that includes media. I wonder if this latest hire from Fox News is going to make people have faith. I don't think it will, but it wasn't me. Tony Katz, good to be with you. This is Tony Katz today. There's a new hire for Fox News, and it's not me. Tulsi Gabbard will come on as a contributor. She's been filling in for Tucker Carlson. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. She will be a contributor. Um... Okay. I'm surprised, not surprised, shocked, not shocked. I don't think I'm uh, I'm anything, really. Uh, it, stop thinking she's a conservative. She's never been a conservative. I've always liked her. 
She's just not a conservative. I wish she was. She's never going to be. Just so we understand each other, that's just never, ever, ever going to be the case. Should not think that that it will be. Uh, Then uh, there is probably the most important story that I have covered today. Um. I I don't know if this class, this isn't the worst headline of the day. This is just the saddest headline of the day. But it could be the funniest. You know what? I'll leave it to you. Here's the headline. Woman's 911 call over pink barbecue has experts defending smoked meat. Or, is it hilarious or is it sad? You tell me. Um, So this happened in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, the, the, the woman in question, the customer in question, is like, this pork shoulder is not cooked enough. Look, it's pink. And the co owners said, um, it's been smoked 12 hours, 250 degrees. That pink is the smoke ring. That's what comes from low and slow. She disagreed. They couldn't, she couldn't convince them to cook it more or give her a refund, so she called 911. I had ordered some food from there, and the barbecue was pink. So a cop has to show up. To deal with this, and the cop shows up and is all like, "Not even supposed to be here today." He's like, "All right, what's the what's the problem? What's the issue there at Clyde Cooper Barbecue?" By the way, they market themselves as home of the infamous pink barbecue, uh, and they have pink BBQ merchandise. Now, you guys know that I'm in the middle of writing a book about barbecue right now. And 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 I am not writing the war and peace of barbecue. It's part of Eat, Drink, Smoke, my cigar and bourbon show. Uh, and we have Let's Go Bourbon, which you can buy right now over, the, over there at Amazon.com. And we hope to have Let's Go Barbecue out in the next couple of weeks. Although, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'm having a heck of a time with the editing. And I, my normal copy editor is not available. And I just, I don't know if I want to use somebody new. And I'm, I'm going to try and do it myself. Um, so, so it might not be, it might, it might end up with a couple of, uh, reprints, but it's, it's fun. It's good. It's informational. I'm happy about it. Like the entomology of, of barbecue, like where does it come from? That's in there. Um, low and slow is not only very real. Um, we actually have a, a, a term for it, uh, of how important low and slow is as, as a rule and all rules are meant to be broken. Um, the the idea of the smoke ring and and I don't smoke pork I, I brisket uh, I do I do ribs I do brisket I I do turkeys thing, things like that oh dear lord that's the everything that's the everything that's how you know this is working and then of course you want a good bark so there's a whole conversation of when do you go to wrap it do you even wrap it at all but you want to keep the juiciness but you're not necessarily having a stall issue but man there is science and there is feel. To, to to barbecue, to smoking meat. Unless it was your first time at a barbecue place, how could you not know? 
This is the part that eludes me. Now, I can tell you that I, I used to work as a restaurant manager. And people would send back burgers because it had pink in it. They were freaked out by pink. Pink meant undercooked. Well, no, pink doesn't mean undercooked. As a matter of fact, I'm a guy who wants his burger medium rare. Sometimes medium. Really depending on mood. But there is something very cultural about the idea of not having pink in your meat. If you came from a lower income bracket, it was possible that you weren't buying real fresh beef. Mom couldn't find that at the store. Dad couldn't afford that. So you bought things that were a few days old. And to make sure you killed anything nasty in it, you made it well done. And therefore you grew up with well done, which is something that I explore in the book. This idea that our tastes for almost anything don't often come from new experiences, but rather come from uh, how, how, how our minds were set. So, for example, uh, you could tell me that your mother makes the best chocolate chip cookie in the world. I can tell you that my grandmother, Ethel, rest her soul, soul makes, uh, made the greatest potato salad in the history of the universe. And my mother, who is brilliant in a kitchen, cannot duplicate it at all. She's a total failure and shame on her. How is that possible? But it's true. Does it mean it's really the best potato salad in the world? Of course not. But that connection is so there that that's how you rank everything else. So in the world of barbecue, very often, you are told that so-and-so makes the best barbecue, and everybody's like, oh, so-and-so makes the best barbecue. So you are instructed now to believe that that's what the best barbecue should be like, as opposed to trying things for yourself and finding where your palate really exists. So in this case, someone looks at pink, and decides that it's a problem because for whatever reason they were told pink is a problem but of course pink isn't a problem it is my hope uh, that she learns she learns well these people did nothing wrong i say you get on down to the carolinas was at raleigh and you get to clyde cooper's uh, barbecue tell them you heard about it tell them you heard about it on, on tony Katz today and uh, enjoy Meanwhile, we've got 8 billion people on planet Earth, and we're doing just fine. That story is up next. I'm Tony Katz. The number people is 8 billion. 8 billion people on planet Earth. And you can do the searches. It'll tell you that it creates a lot of challenges. It creates a lot of problems. I think it's actually quite stunning uh, to think that we're able to figure out that level of count. And figure out, well, based on population growth and based on conversations, today is the day we hit Earth plus 8 billion. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. The question, of course, is what does it mean for us? Is this something to be concerned about? Is overpopulation really truly an issue? Certainly a different conversation in New Delhi than you're going to get in New Palestine right here not too far away from where I'm at in Indiana. What is the real story? Marion Tupit joins us right now, senior fellow at the Cato Institute and co-author of the new book, Superabundance, the story of population growth, innovation, and human flourishing 
on an infinitely bountiful planet. Uh, you sound, uh, sir, uh, rather joyous about the human condition and the ability of planet Earth to be able to handle 8 billion people. Uh, before we get into uh, the, the, the book itself, the idea of 8 billion, is this something that we should have concern about or is this a quite remarkable achievement for the human species? Well, it is a remarkable achievement for the human species if you think about the fact that uh, there have never been as many people in the world and the world has never been more prosperous. In 1800, when Thomas Jefferson was president of the United States, there was one billion people in the world. But no sane person would want to live, uh, who's alive today, would want to live 200 years ago. Um, The world was much poorer. People didn't have food. There were famines everywhere. People lived to about the age of 30. We didn't have basic dentistry. Uh, we didn't have good health care. Um, children in infancy were dying. Women were not educated. So along many different dimensions, the world has improved as the population grew. So in fact, I think that uh, there is a connection between the number of human beings and this prosperity. And the connection is this. Every human being born into the world is not just born with an empty stomach, but also with a brain, a brain capable of inventing, innovating, having ideas, then applying those ideas in practice, which make the world a better place. One of the things that you uh, took a, a, a look at uh, in this book, Super Abundance, or in, in your work, which you wrote with, with Gail Pooley, is, is this idea of what is it that we are told that we are growing too fast we have too many people and the the resources themselves are scarce and that is going to lead to things being problematic what you take a look at is that you have found contrary to the expectation or really the narrative that we so much get within uh, various levels of media that resources are more abundant, not scarcer, which does confound because if you have more people and you have, uh, for example, whether it be clean water or, or, or pick the resource in question, that more people need it, shouldn't it by nature be a scarcer uh, entity to get? The number of atoms in the world, be they atoms of zinc or copper or tin or whatever else, may be finite. But the amount of new value we can get from those atoms is potentially infinite. All we need is new knowledge. Thomas Sowell, the great American economist, likes to say that the caveman had exactly the same resources that we have today, which is true. And the difference in standards of living between the man in caves and the people today is really just new knowledge, new knowledge that we have. So in the last 100 years, from the perspective of a blue-collar worker in the United States, um, resources uh, have become 12 times more abundant. Relative to wages, resources have fallen in price by over 90%. The same amount of work that allowed you to buy one egg uh, 100 years ago now gets you 36 eggs. The same amount of work that got you a chicken 100 years ago now gets, gets you 26 chickens. Uh, Instead of one pound of butter, you now get 17 pounds of butter. So in the book, we looked at hundreds of different commodities, food, fuel, minerals, uh, metals, 
We even looked at finished goods, things like refrigerators and uh, coffee makers and washers and dishwashers. And what we found in every case, things have just become much cheaper. And I think that's part of the reason why so many people are depressed and uh, feel that uh, America is not living up to its potential is because they do not have the basic historical knowledge about just how difficult life used to be just a short while ago. It wasn't that long ago that uh, son of a president, Calvin Coolidge, was playing tennis on a White House lawn, developed a blister which got infected, and he died because that was four years before we developed antibiotics. So you get a sense by reading our book, Superabundance, just how difficult life was and how much better off we are today. Talking to Marion Tupi, the book Superabundance, the story of population growth, innovation, and human flourishing on an infinitely bountiful planet. You can find it at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are are sold you you bring up a point uh my father uh often and for for years i should say has discussed the fact that for some people of certain political persuasions it's like they think the world started yesterday and started like this like what we have in the united states that there's a coffee shop on every corner and the streets mostly are, are clean and that they're paved and none of that is true this took an incredible amount of time and resource and yes lot lives getting a little bit better and a little bit better a lot of what you're talking about uh, has a very 5,000 year leap kind of feel to it especially when you talk about the work it took to make a pound of butter now make 17 pounds of butter I want to understand where the development came were you able to to whatever extent you can pinpoint the uh, the moment of when the human populace was able to take their work and multiply it in such a way as to create better value for everybody and is there any negative or downside to that reality well you say that our work is a 5000 year scope in fact you could go back 10000 years or 20000 years and you wouldn't see really much of a progress people lived and died in pretty much the same conditions for many thousands of years. The big break with the past happens in mid 18th century, uh, right about the time of the American Revolution. After 1750, what we get is a period of sustained innovation. Of course, human beings have always innovated, but those periods of innovation were scattered and they often petered out. People sometimes forgot the knowledge which they had before. But since about 1750 or so, we've been in a period of sustained innovation. We continue to innovate. We learn from each other. And so the question is really what happens in 18th century? And the working hypothesis of the book is that 18th century begins a period of sustained, increased spread of political and economic freedom. The ancient hierarchies of kings and nobility and peasants basically gets blurred. More people get political rights. They can ask their governments to treat them well. We have a say in uh, political arrangements of our nations. But also, another thing which happens is that people are more politically free. You no longer need the king to give you a monopoly. You no longer need the king to give you a permission in order to open a business. You can now do it pretty much on your own. And so this sort of freedom spreads first from propertied white males to females, then it spreads to ethnic and religious minorities, and most recently sexual minorities. The point is 
that we are living at a period of unprecedented freedom. And people are using that freedom in order to improve their lives. But as they do that, they improve the lives of everybody else. So the lesson from the book really is that um, we got it right in the last 200 years by embracing freedom. And if we lose that freedom, if we lose uh, democracy, but very importantly, if we lose capitalism, free market, then uh, all of the things that we have achieved in the last 200 years could very well go away. So which one... I was. I mean, I'm. I'm listening to you. I'm like, okay. So it's one or the other, it, or or maybe it, it's it's both. And and you will correct me. Is it the idea of a republic as opposed to a monarchy or an oligarchy or a, or despotism that that led to innovation, or was it indeed just the idea of capitalism of this this concept of of trade for purpose of of being able to have people utilize their skill sets in a way to monetize those skill sets for dollars or or engaging in other ways of trade? Which thing? led to the the flip of the switch it was the idea of equal dignity under the law or if you will equality of permission that it doesn't matter whether you were born to a poor peasant or to high aristocracy you had the same rights under the law there is of course the, the, the equality before the law uh equality is a difficult concept. Some forms of equality, like equality before the law, are very good for economic growth and for prosperity. Equality of outcome brings about mountains and mountains of debt. It brings about communism. And so you, you want to have equality before the law. You want to have equality of dignity, uh, equality of permission to live your life as you please. And so I would say it was this enlightenment idea uh, of uh, of uh, of, of equal dignity, which was which was incredibly important. Not so much the type of government that you have, because of course the world is filled with constitutional monarchies, which function very well. Denmark, Norway, um, uh, United Kingdom, uh, Sweden, and so forth. It doesn't have to be a republic, but it must be a country which has embraced equality before the law. That's the key. I'm going to be reading more of this as the days goes on as the days go on marion tupi uh he is with the cato institute senior fellow at the cato institute co-author of the book super abundance the story of population growth innovation and human flourishing on an infinitely bountiful planet you can find it at amazon.com wherever fine books are sold marion tupi i appreciate you taking the time to be with us more coming up i'm tony katz eight billion people i we should note that's a crazy number eight billion people in the world and half of them are nick cannon's kids screw you that's a good joke tony katz tony katz today what's going on the story out that nick cannon was married to mariah carey nick cannon uh, an actor nick cannon a comic nick cannon he's got a tv show wild and out Kids made some cat kid. He's in his forties, I think. Made some money. Made some money in in his life. It's kind of stunning, actually. Really is stunning what it is that that he has built. He's got eleven kids. I think working on twelve right now. And there was this estimate from uh, the U.S. Sun that uh, that he spends in child support every year three million dollars. Three 
million dollars in child support. And uh, he's 42, by the way. And his quote is, I definitely spend a lot more than that on all my children annually. Um, and then he goes, I don't plan to ever have to participate in the governmental system of child. I don't, I swear to you, I don't know what that means in the slightest. I have no clue what that means at all. Now I understand why this guy works so much. Going on kid number 12. You're paying more than $3 million a year in child support? Ooh. Honestly, I uh, I'm not willing to accept the idea that the sex is that good. I'm just I'm just not, no. Wait, is that not allowed? You're not allowed to have that conversation. What? What I say? What I say? What's the problem? What's the oh oh? You're all you're all prudes. You really and truly are. Uh, it's not the only thing going on. I was very happy to hear that an appeals court uh, keeps the Biden student do- uh, student debt plan on hold. This a three-judge panel from the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Louis. This comes just a few days after this judge in Texas blocked the program. The appeals court saying it usurped Congress's power to make laws. That's been the entire argument. The president, the executive branch, cannot engage spending that comes from Congress. That comes from Congress. So what Joe Biden is attempting to do here, he's attempting to put together a spending plan by telling people you don't have to pay back your loans. If you don't have to pay back the loan, it was no longer a loan. It was a spending program. And the president can't do that. And I am I am thrilled, thrilled to see that there, there's finally... Some willingness to engage a confrontation of the powers of of the presidency. Because this idea that the president is some kind of um, all all knowing, all good, can can do anything, say anything. No, there there are absolutely positively rules. And I'm thrilled, overjoyed. To, to see that there was some, some movement here in the recognition that Biden can't get away with this. And I only hope it sticks. Because you never know. You never know if the thing is, is, is going to, to stick. You never know if the thing is going to hold. It is my hope, my sincerest, sincerest hope that it sticks. Because what Biden is, is doing is absolutely positively wrong uh, also wrong to be overseas and why in the world are you talking about u.s elections why let me start with a few words about the recent elections held in the united states what we saw was the strength and resilience of the american democracy and we saw it in action and the american people prove once again that democracy is who we are and there's a strong rejection of election deniers at every level from those seeking to lead our states and those are seeking to serve in Congress. And all- if I question what happened in Pennsylvania in 2020 because the judiciary usurped the authority of the legislative, am I an election denier? And this is how you speak about Americans overseas? 
Never forget, Joe Biden is unpopular, and that has not changed a single solitary ounce. Super duper unpopular. Oh, he also said he doesn't think there's enough votes to uh, codify uh, or codify Roe v. Wade. I'm sorry, what? You don't think you're going to be able to get Roe v. Wade into law and pass it uh, through Congress? Huh. Huh. I I wonder how people are going to react to that. I will bring more to that story tomorrow. I, I promise. Keep it here at TonyCats.Locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. Eight billion people. I, we should note, that's a crazy number. Eight billion people in the world. And half of them are Nick Cannon's kids. Screw you, that's a good joke. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, what's going on? The story out that Nick Cannon was married to Mariah Carey. Nick Cannon, uh, an actor. Nick Cannon, a comic. Nick Cannon, he's got a TV show, Wild and Out. Kids made some cat kid. He's in his 40s, I think. Made some money. Made some money in in his life. It's kind of stunning, actually. Really is stunning, what it is that that he has built. He's got 11 kids, I think, working on 12 right now. And there was this estimate from uh, the U.S. Sun that that he spends in child support every year $3 million. $3 million in child support. And uh, he's 42, by the way. And his quote is, I definitely spend a lot more than that on all my children annually. Um, And then he goes, I don't plan to ever have to participate in the governmental system of child. I don't, I swear to you, I don't know what that means in the slightest. I have no clue what that means at all. Now I understand why this guy works so much. Going on kid number 12. You're paying more than 3 million a year in child support. Ooh. Honestly, I uh, I'm not willing to accept the idea that the sex is that good. I'm just I'm just not, no. Wait, is that not allowed? You're not allowed to have that conversation. What? What I say? What I say? What's the problem? What's the oh oh? You're all you're all prudes. You really and truly are. Uh, it's not the only thing going on. I was very happy to hear. That an appeals court uh, keeps the Biden student do- uh, student debt plan on hold. This a three-judge panel from the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in St. Louis. This comes just a few days after this judge in Texas blocked the program. The appeals court saying it usurped Congress's power to make laws. That's been the entire argument. The president, the executive branch cannot engage spending that comes from congress that comes from congress so what joe biden is attempting to do here he's attempting to put together a spending plan by telling people you don't have to pay back your loans if you don't have to pay back the loan it was no longer a loan it was a spending program and the president can't do that and i am i am thrilled thrilled to see that there, there's finally some willingness to engage a confrontation of the powers of, of the presidency. Because this idea that the president is some kind of um, 
all, all knowing, all good, can can do anything, say anything. No, there are, there are absolutely positively rules. And I'm thrilled, overjoyed to to see that there was some some movement here in the recognition that Biden can't get away with this. And I only hope it sticks. Cuz cuz you never know. You never know if the thing is 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 going to to stick. You never know if the thing is going to hold. It is my hope, my sincerest sincerest hope that it sticks. Because what Biden is is doing is absolutely positively wrong uh also wrong to be overseas and why in the world are you talking about u.s elections why let me start with a few words about the recent elections held in the united states what we saw was the strength and resilience of the american democracy and we saw it in action and the american people prove once again that democracy is who we are and there was a strong rejection of election deniers at every level from those seeking to lead our states and those seeking to serve in Congress. And all- if I question what happened in Pennsylvania in 2020 because the judiciary usurped the authority of the legislative, am I an election denier? And this is how you speak about Americans overseas? Never forget, Joe Biden is unpopular, and that has not changed a single solitary ounce. Super-duper unpopular. Oh, he also said he doesn't think there's enough votes to uh, codify uh, or codify Roe v. Wade. I'm sorry, what? You don't think you're going to be able to get Roe v. Wade into law and pass it uh, through Congress? Huh. Huh. I I wonder how people are going to react to that. I I will bring more to that story tomorrow. I I promise. Keep it here. TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today.